This is the Passive Real Estate Podcast, the premier podcast for passive real estate investors. Matt Jones interviews experienced passive investors who share their industry secrets and active investors who show you different ways to invest passively. Hello, welcome back. I'm Matt Jones. And today on the Passive Real Estate Podcast, I welcome Brock Mogensen. Uh, Brock has been investing in real estate for over five years. He lives and invests in the Milwaukee, Wisconsin market, which is great. I'm close by. I'm in Madison. And as a principal at Smart Asset Capital, the firm currently has over $25 million in assets under management. Their portfolio is comprised of multifamily, retail, industrial, and self-storage. Welcome, Brock. It's great to have you on the show. Thanks for having me on, Matt. Looking forward to it. Yeah. What else would you like the audience to know about yourself? Yeah, I would say the, you know, my 30 second story of how how I got started, right? So I uh, got started in real estate about five years ago. So uh, relatively new considering, you know, a lot of other people have long they've been in the industry. And I started with a duplex, uh, house hack model, living on one side, renting out the other. Didn't really have any huge ambitions with real estate, just started that way and saw quickly how, what real estate could offer, right? I'm living in this, living in this unit, renting out the other rooms. I'm making money. I'm living for free. I'm like, this is awesome. How can I go bigger? So re researched different avenues, ultimately fell into this realm of syndication. And that's where I went out, learned that business, found the right partners. One year after that duplex, we syndicate 89 units. So we bring in some other partners, buy this building, continue to do, you know, we've done 12 of them so far and have scaled that business to be a wonderful avenue for myself, right? And putting deals together and being able to work with other people. We have around hundred investors in our deals. So it's been awesome to be able to create these partnerships and go out and buy these much larger properties than I would have been able to do on my own. And also, you know, for the individual investors in our deal would have been able to do on their own as well. Fantastic. I mean, that's a great approach. I think real estate is a relationship business. Like uh, you can do it alone, but it's really hard. You, you can go a lot farther, a lot faster by working with other people who also know what's going on and are, are, are good to work with. 100%. I couldn't agree more. So uh, your current portfolio, are you active in that or passive or a bit of both? I would say active. So I, myself and my two partners at Smart Asset Capital are the general partners, right? So mm -hmm. we're actively going out, finding these deals, getting the debt on the deals, overseeing the deals, overseeing the exit. And then we're bringing investors alongside us, right? So we each put our own, some of our own money in and then we're bringing investors alongside us. So I'm active in all these deals in our portfolio. Awesome. And what kind of deals do you focus on right now? So we've covered the, the spread, I think. I mean, we've done most asset classes. We've done multifamily, retail, office. I don't like office, but self-storage um, and industrial has been our main focus right now. Our past five acquisitions, I think, have been industrial. So that's really where our firm is heading is, is doubling down on that asset class. So that's really interesting. A lot of firms I, I talk with, they focus on like one or maybe two asset classes at the most, but you've got kind of quite a selection there, a broad selection, I would say. So why do you, um, and, and how are you able to handle focusing on so many different things at the same time? Great question. So I would say it didn't happen on purpose. It happened on accident. <laughs> so we started with with where most people start, right? Multifamily. And I, I love the multifamily asset class. We started with that. And just had some deals come across our desk that were in other asset classes. So we had a office building, we had a strip mall, we had a self-storage facility, we had industrial. So these deals just came across our desk and they were good deals. We're looking at these numbers like this deal works, right? Um, so can we learn how to do it and, and go out and do it? And we did, right? And so we learned the triple net lease game. We're able to successfully do those deals. And that opened up our net of being able to see more deals and more deal flow ultimately. And as we progressed on and continue to do more deals in different asset classes, we found our niche and connections and overall where we personally see the most opportunity was in the industrial space. And that's why over the past year, we really decided to niche down on that. 
that being said, we still we're working on development deal and multifamily right now. Like we still do other asset classes, but for us, we were able to cast a wider net, which isn't the conventional approach, like you like you pointed out. But it's worked out for us now where we have experience in all these asset classes and we have a wider net of deals we can see. Great. And I'm glad you pointed out industrial. It's sort of the darling of real estate right now. And it kind of includes a lot of different things, whether it's warehouses or factories or distribution centers or, or things like that. Are there any specific niches within industrial that you do or just kind of uh, anything that in, within industrial that makes sense you, you want to focus on? Mostly, yeah, mostly the latter, I would say. We've you know, mostly what we've done so far has been general warehousing, light distribution, storage, those sort of deals. We haven't got into like the heavy manufacturing, crane buildings. Uh, we've looked at some, but our our main focus is just on big boxes, right? We want a big box, whether it's one tenant or several tenants. Those are the deals we really like, um, high clear height. So it's, you know, not necessarily one specific niche within industrial, because like you said, there's there's seven or eight different kinds of industrial within there. Um but that that's been our focus right now is kind of that that segment of it. And do you have any properties that are like a, a business or office in the front and then a warehouse in the back? What I like to call the mullet of real estate. Yeah, yep, exactly. We we do have those. Um, so you know, most of the deals we have have a portion of office in them. So we like a good ratio of that. Um, you know, if there's a ton of office, the, we're really finding that tenants looking for space don't like when there's a, a bigger office ratio to warehouse. Or, uh, you know, there's 25% office and 75% warehouse. They don't like that, right? The office space is becoming a lessening need. So I think there, do, there, there, there does need to be a little bit of office in there, right? Um, five, 10% of the space is usually what we're aiming for when it comes to the overall square footage of the building. Gotcha. So you're telling me about your partners at uh, Smart Asset Capital. Like, how did you find your partners and, and you know, like, who does which role? Yep. So I have two partners. Um, you know, I would say taking a step back. So one of my partners started Smart Asset Realty, which is a brokerage. He also owns Smart Asset Management, which is a property management company. Uh, they manage like over 4,000 units in Wisconsin. So they, they they had those companies, right? So we came in, myself and another partner came in and said, can we plug in a capital arm into the business, Smart Asset Capital, where we're going to go out, raise capital to, to, to buy these larger properties. He already had all the infrastructure in place. We could essentially plug that business into a brand he already created. So that was the how it all got kicked off. As far as our roles now, I would say we're still growing, right? So it's not necessarily like one person does each thing and it's very much in your lane. That is the ultimate goal, right? With most businesses. But for where we're at right now, we're I'm involved in everything, right? Like personally, I would say what I'm best at, if if that's if that's the question, is finding deals and underwriting. That's what I really enjoy is, is the process of going out, finding deals, underwriting them, getting creative on how we can structure them. But I'm involved in everything from, you know finding deals, underwriting, asset management, capital raising, investor relations. Um, you know, we all kind of share responsibilities across the board. Okay. That's great that you can work. So, you know, kind of uh, hand in hand with each other at so many, you know, different aspects at the same time. And so think about the passive investors out there who are listening to this, uh, you know, if they're smart, they're going to shop around with different sponsors to find one that they're a good match for. How can a passive investor tell whether or not a sponsor is going to do a good job with a particular deal? Awesome question. So and I would agree, right? I think reach out to, to multiple sponsors, you know, and I think it starts with identifying if you have a market preference, right? Like some people want to invest locally. They live in Wisconsin. They want to invest locally, they live in Texas. They want to invest locally, connect with a sponsor that's doing deals in those areas, obviously, right? There's other investors that just don't really care location wise. They just want a great deal. So a lot of times that can narrow down your search. But I would say, you know, the ideal checklist of when you're talking to sponsors uh, and considering investing in a deal is 
first track record, right? Do they have experience? Have they successfully exited a deal? What does their current portfolio look like? How is that current portfolio performing? All of those sort of things um, and see how they answer the question, right? Like, are they talking about the bad deals they had? If it's a bigger company and they've done, you know, 10, 20, 30 deals, one of those deals sucked for sure. <laughs> like they're not all home runs. So how do they skip over that? Or do they actually tell you the story of what went wrong and what they learned? Uh, that That's one thing I, I would say. Um, another real basic one is, are they personally investing their own money into the deal? Um, are they, you know, if, if they're not t- putting any of their money into the own deal, for me, that's a little bit of a red flag. I'd like to see someone personally investing their own money into the deal alongside my money. Uh, so that, that would be another one. And I think just, overall like risk strategy right like how what does what does their underwriting look like like if you look through their deal decks and and see like how conservative is their underwriting you know what i could go into the weeds on some of it like what exit cap rates are they looking at what assumptions are they are they using really high rent growth assumptions how conservative is their overall model and their assumptions because especially in the markets we're in right now it's it's tough right and someone that's assuming all this sunshine and rainbows is going to happen over the five years to me is it's a little sketchy, right? I think there needs to be a lot of conservative underwriting taking place right now. Um, so though, you know, I'd say those are the main things I'm looking at as far as when I invest passively in deals. Yeah, I, I hear you there. And if I was seeing somebody who was looking at office space in San Francisco, let's say, which has like a 30 some percent vacancy rate, and they were projecting a 10% year over year, you know, rent increases. Well, <laughs> I would laugh and then walk away from that. But uh, so it's, you know, how, how down to earth is, is somebody with their projections and uh, with your investments, are you only in the Milwaukee market or do you invest elsewhere too? Yeah. Greater Milwaukee area. All of our deals. Uh, I mean, we just did a deal up towards the Madison area, but all of our stuff is our two hours radius of Milwaukee. Okay. And I know a lot of syndicators who, uh, you know, maybe some of their investments are local to where they are, but uh, maybe they invest elsewhere. There's different markets throughout the nation that are performing well with different asset classes. And I know since you live in Milwaukee, certainly that makes it convenient for you to invest in Milwaukee. But other than that, why Milwaukee? What's what's good about the market? Great question. So the for us, it's, you know, looking at taking a step back, I mean, looking at Milwaukee as a market, um, it's not, it's not Austin, Texas. It's not Tampa, Florida, right? There's not a ton of incoming migration and job growth. And it's not, it doesn't have a lot of the stats that some investors might like to see. But for us, we see it as a market that's good cash flow, good numbers, right? Like it's not going to be this roller coaster like a lot of other markets are where it's can go up really high and come down really hard. Um, for us, it's a stable market. We can get good cash flow. Cap rates are good here compared to a lot of other markets. So looking at that, fundamentally, we like the market. On top of that, I would say this is where our connections are, right? Like we've spent years building great broker relationships here, great banking relationships. We see the top deals here. Um, you know, it's that goes a long way. If you have a really good pulse on the market and you know the players and you're seeing the deals, you're, you're going to do better deals, right? For me, if I were to say tomorrow, hey, I want to go out and try to buy a deal in Tampa, Florida, and I send out 10 emails and call 10 brokers and uh, it's going to take me a long time to see good deals, right? I'm just going to get the mass email blasts where you work your way into a market and really develop a footprint there. You start seeing the better deals, which I think is required to really ultimately provide good investment opportunities to your investors. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, certainly because you're you're there, you can see it, you know it, and you have all these connections. Uh, so you just have these deep roots within this market. You really understand it uh, more than somebody who is coming from out of state would. Exactly, exactly. 
And for your team at, at Smart Asset Cap or Smart Asset Capital, uh, how could a passive investor determine whether or not you guys are a good match for what, what they're looking for in an investment team? I would say, you know, digging into what we've done, right? Like, so looking at like we have a track record deck that lays out all of our current portfolio, how it's performed, and you know what our strategy is going forward on deals. So I think really digging into the business and doing due diligence um, is, is a key step and in, in, in any investment opportunity you're looking at or any sponsor you're looking at investing with is really dive into what they have in their portfolio and how their performance is doing and what they're expecting going forward. Um, and beyond that, you know, other thing is just liking the person, right? Like I think, you know, you get on, you generally get on a call with someone, you can schedule a call with these sponsors, get to know them. You, you want to like people you're doing business with, right. And feel good about it. So if you just get on the call and you just think get the right feeling from this person, you might not want to do business with them, even if everything else checks the boxes. So I think for me, as I'm, you know, looking at passive investor opportunities, those two things are big for me. I want to see a good track record. I want to just like the person, right? Like and actually enjoy seeing myself doing business with this person, because for us, it's not just about getting an investor in on one deal. Like we want to build a relationship with them to do multiple deals, right? And if we look at our investor base, almost all of our investors are repeat investors. And that's our goal is to give them a great experience in the first ones. And they come back and they tell their friends right now, referrals are our biggest source of new investors is, is referrals. So that's our goal is to build this relationship with people where we can kill it on the first deal and continue to kill it and bring more of their friends in and, and, and keep rolling their, their cash into more deals. I, I hear you there. I mean, somebody's past performance, their track record is not a guarantee of what their future performance will be. However, it's a pretty strong indicator of the kinds of deals they focused on and how they've been able to work through deals in the past. They'll probably do something similar in the future too. And uh, you know, also if you like them, uh, you know, because if you don't like them, that's uh, that's going to be a sticking point. You won't like enjoy the experience uh, working with them with your money. And uh, so you've been in real estate for five years. You've uh, kind of seen a lot of different things. And I'm going to just assume here that things have not always been perfect at every step of the way. So tell me, what is a problem that you've encountered with one of your real estate investments and how was it handled? Yep. So uh, I'll be honest, our first two deals we did sucked. Mm. Um, you know, the first, uh, the second deal is is just getting to the close to the remedy. So maybe I'll touch on that, but I'll start with the first one. So First deal we did, I mentioned 89 unit apartment building, uh, rougher part of Milwaukee, kind of by those familiar, kind of by the Marquette campus area in Milwaukee. Um, and we came into this deal with, you know, a couple of mistakes right off the bat, right? Like we, and, and a lot of the stuff was out of our grasp. A lot of the stuff was within our grasp. Uh, the first was the, 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 the debt broker we were working with kind of screwed us, like changed the deal last minute, promised us all these debt terms that we built the whole deal on. And everything changed last minute. We had agency debt, but they pulled back our interest only, which we were going to use to fund certain rehabs in the beginning. Um, so that kind of set us off on a tough foot to begin with. We get in there, find out that the previous ownership, and again, mistake we've made during due diligence, not vetting every single tenant properly, is half these tenants weren't even really paying rent. So they were false. I'm not, I don't want to say false fine because I don't want to claim anything, but the numbers weren't right that they're telling us. Um, which is another learning lesson. Don't trust what's on the offering memorandum from a broker. Actually really dig into bank accounts and like do a deep due diligence on that. We essentially, we had to evict 50% of the tenants. So about 45 of the tenants, they were gone right away. We're burning cash, right? So we're off on a pretty rough foot to begin with. We recover from that, right? Like we get them out, lease these units up. We deplete our reserves, but we got this building filled. We're in, we're in a good spot. It's cash flowing. We're like, all right, we got through it. Great. COVID hits, eviction moratorium. 
25% of our tenants the next day come into the office and say, we're not going to pay rent. You can't do shit about it. And they were right. We couldn't do shit about it because of the eviction moratorium the governor imposed. So, you know, a year and a half of, of 25% of tenants not paying rents, there's your cash flow, right? That, that sucks. Um, so we, you know, get, get through that. Um, and then a, a boiler went out, there's another 50 grand. So we were really, you know, just going through a lot, right? Again, some stuff we, we mistakes we made, some stuff we didn't have control over, but so we get through all of that. And we, the one thing I will say is we did not do any capital calls throughout that. I would say almost all syndicators would have gone to their investors and say, fork up some money. We got to cover this. We personally covered, covered it ourselves to keep the property going. Um, cause we didn't want to do have our first one be a capital call. So we, out of our, out of our pocket paid for this. Um, and then we navigated through it. We, uh, sold it earlier this year. We found the right buyer the, to my, in my opinion, the best buyer for that property in the state, um, huge real estate investor that bought it and we got out of it and gave our investors a overall positive return. Wasn't the home run return we were looking for, but got them a positive return and, and got out of it. You know, this is the kind of thing that I like to see from general partnerships when I'm looking around, you know, first of all, being honest about their experiences, and then also having faced challenges and overcome them. You know, uh, if I'm looking around and there's somebody who that's their first deal ever, and they've, they're they not partnered with anybody else experience, they're just trying to, you know, do it the first time, I, I don't want to, you know, it's kind of a gamble for me to give them my money, because I don't know what's going to happen. Uh, and so you made some of those beginning mistakes, I would say, of of not having enough capital reserves to handle the uh, capital expenditures and and uh, really taking a putting in the proper due diligence. But you've learned from that. You know, you've grown from that. And uh, I can only assume you're not doing those mistakes anymore because of how much pain that it caused you in the past. Uh, and so now you're you're having a better system of approach with due diligence and and raising the proper amount of capital beforehand to handle the problems that, that may come from uh, uh, what's inevitable. That you know, problems are do arise with any kind of real estate investment sooner or later. You don't always know what they're going to be, but being prepared for them is a great way to approach that. I would totally agree. I think. The biggest lesson, the macro lesson I think I learned is you can do, be the best underwriter and, and budget everything the best you can. But, uh, you know, usually these deals, you're, you're assuming like a 10 year hold period, right? Five, 10 year hold period. There's going to be at least one thing that goes wrong in that 10 years that you did not account for. So add a little extra cash in your bank account at closing to cover that thing you're not going to see because something's, oh, everything's not going to go to plan. Like never, right? There's always going to be some, some stuff's going to go better than you assumed. Some stuff's going to go worse, but there's always going to be at least one thing that happened that you didn't account for. So it's like, you'd rather have more of a safety net in your bank account to cover that. So it's not a big headache and you can just, you can fund it that way. Oh yeah, exactly. All right. Are you ready for a speed round? Let's do it. What's your favorite part about passive real estate investing? I would say the opportunity to be able to invest in something you're not fully, you don't, you're not an expert in, right? Um, I think the biggest benefit here with syndication deals and real estate specifically is Someone can take part in real estate, have real estate in their portfolio, get the tax benefits, get all the cash flow, all that stuff without having to go out and spend the hundred hours it takes to actually learn the game. Right. So it's to me an opportunity to invest passively. Like for myself, I invest passively in other avenues that aren't real estate. And I invest with people that know what they're doing in it because I don't have the desire to go out and learn, you know, crypto or Forex exchange or investing in businesses. Right. Like I understand real estate. That's what I know. That's what I invest in. But I also get the opportunity to invest passively in other things I don't understand. Indeed. And what do you know now about passive real estate investing that you wish you knew when you first got started? I would say, 
you know, somewhat similar to the first answer is being, you know, having the opportunity, there's every single investment vehicle out there, there's someone that's an ex expert in it, right? And generally, most of these investment vehicles, there's an opportunity to be a passive investor alongside that expert. So I've really learned like, you don't need to have 100% control of all your investments, right? If I can go out and just take a piece of something bigger to me, that's that's better in my mind than just, you know, having to go out and learn this thing and potentially make mistakes, and learn new Avenue. If I can just invest alongside someone that's an expert in that vehicle. Awesome. What's a book that you can recommend to other uh, passive real estate investors? I would say, you know, and maybe this doesn't necessarily apply to specific passive investors, but someone that's trying to learn the apartment syndication game. And this could actually be great for people that are also looking to invest passively best ever apartment syndication by Joe Fairless is a great book just to understand how the syndication business works. So even if you are just investing passively, I think it could be a good read just to gain insight as far as like how this business works from our end of the table. Great, great book. I mean, it's a, a big book, certainly, but there's a lot of excellent information, like even knowing the terms that are used within real estate syndication and what the general fees are to expect uh, for a syndicator to uh, to charge uh, in a deal. So excellent information there. How can our listeners get in contact with you if they want to learn more about what you have going on? For sure. Yeah. So our website is smartassetscapital.com. Uh, on there, my email address should be on there. My email is brock at smartassetcapital. So feel free to send me an email, Instagram at Brock Moments, and I'm pretty active there. I'm posting real estate stuff. So feel free to send me a DM there. But yeah, happy to connect with anyone and talk further. Great. I'll include those in the show notes. And is there anything else you want to mention that we haven't covered yet? I would just say overall, you know, highlighting that, again, huge fan of passive investing and getting into these vehicles that a lot of people think they can't get into. I think a lot of people look at real estate as like, hey, I don't really want to learn, learn it. I don't want tenants calling me on the weekend. So it's just not for me. Whereas there's plenty of opportunities to get involved in real estate without having to do all those things. Excellent. All right. Well, thank you so much, Brock. It's been great having you on the show and have a great rest of your day. Thanks, Matt. Subscribe to this podcast to stay updated on new episodes. Leave a review to let us know that you enjoy the content. There are tons of ways to invest in real estate that you can explore by reading Matt Jones's book called Book About Real Estate. It summarizes many top real estate books all in one. Find it on Amazon, Audible, iTunes, Google Play, or barnesandnoble.com. If you want to learn more about passive real estate investing, go to hawkwingcapital.com.